Father, just thanks for tonight, um, another opportunity for us to, to dive into your word. God, I pray that you guide us as we, as we get into this, Lord, that we would see application for our lives, Lord. This wouldn't just be something that's interesting intellectually for us, Lord, but that would help us to grow closer to you and more faithfully follow you as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, um, we, didn't, we did uh, six and seven. And um, this is going to kind of continue. I'm trying to keep the themes together because there's like, if you think about like a movie or a play, there's really like scenes to this vision. And I'm trying to keep the scenes together. So just because like it's chapter eight, chapter nine, a lot of times like, like when this was written, there weren't verse numbers and there weren't chapter numbers. Those were added later for organizational purposes. But a lot of times the way our scripture breaks things up is not always super helpful to keeping like train of thought. And so I'm trying to keep the train of thought together to make it less confusing. It's not that it's not going to be confusing, but it's less confusing. So um, kind of to get us back in the mindset, when you hear the words end times, what comes to mind? Like the end times. Fire. 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 Okay. Death. 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 Destruction. Chaos. Very. Okay. 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 So really positive. You guys have really positive views of the end times. Okay. All right. Well, that's fair enough because we're going to get into talking about some of that stuff tonight. Um, so we're going to read, we're going to kind of take this in chunks. We're in Revelation chapter 8 to start. We're going to do 8, 9, 10, and 11 tonight. Um, so the last time we met, we had the scroll and there were seals that were being opened up that were kind of showing just, yeah, a lot of the judgment kind of things that are coming out and that continues. So, um, chapter seven was kind of a break in the action and then eight kind of picks it up again. So when you open the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people were up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it on the earth, and there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. So a couple things just to make sure we're kind of on the same page. Does anybody know what a golden sensor is? Go ahead and pick up your phone and do a Google search for golden sensor. And sensor is spelled C-N-S-E-R. So go ahead and do a little yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's good to have a visual. Um, so go to like Google Images. 
Yeah, so if you've ever seen like a, a lot of times like Greek Orthodox will do it, they'll have the like the priest will walk in and swing it with like incense. That's what the imagery is. So as you're thinking about um, this is a huge, um, you know, sensor full of incense. And so incense and prayer, a lot of times in scripture are tied together. Um, there's a lot of, especially in the Old Testament, um, the idea of like prayers going up as a fragrance to God. Like there's a, there's a, a smell, a fragrance to our prayers in a good way. Um, so according to just reading these first five verses, what, how do you see the, our prayers like impacting God's work? Like what role do you see our prayers having in God's, how God works? Just based on what you see in the first five verses here. Mm-hmm. So they make it directly to God, but then it feels like he throws them in our face on the sun. Okay. Any other thoughts? <laughs> Thanks. I feel like you throw it back. I have a question. Like, wasn't earlier, didn't it mention what, like the elders held the prayers, or is that wrong? Or did somebody else hold the um, I mean, there's, there's a couple different scenes. So. Yeah, yeah. There's a. This is really a continuation on from four. So yeah, in some in some senses, you see sort of the elders before the throne. In this in this um, sequence, it's the, it's an angel that's kind of doing that. Which, by the way, um, this is something that didn't make it into Pastor David's message. Which, if you haven't listened to that message from last Sunday, I highly recommend you checking that out. Um, you will feel ahead of the curve of the rest of the church for the next few weeks if you. Um, cause we're going through, um, revelation one, two, and three for the rest of the summer. But, um, when I was talking to David about the passage where it's the 24 elders, that whole sequence in heaven is very much mirrored in Greek. Um, like the Greek and Roman, they would have 24 elders that would come before Caesar and offer up like and conduct the services. So there's like a, there's like Jesus through John is playing off of that imagery of like, counterfeit what's the counterfeit and what's the real is what's kind of being talked about a lot and so so Haley you're reading that and saying the prayers are getting thrown back in our faces does anybody else see it a different way well that could definitely be the wrong interpretation actually I hope it's who 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 is like to, re- to bring us back to the beginning like what who is this written to who is this who is this letter written to and what's going on in those seven churches? What's life like for the people in those seven churches? Some of them are doing the right thing and some of them aren't. But what, what's lots, the, lots of persecution and, and attacks against them. Yeah, yeah. So you got to read, and this is, I'm going to go back to this again and again and again. Um, so... Would this be like their prayers um, of protection and a defense against these accusations and attacks against them? Yeah. If you look back into um, the chapters before this, there is, oh yeah. So chapter six, um, verse 10. Can somebody 
read uh, Revelation 6, verses 10 and 11. Uh, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So you have people who have like been really suffering as a result of persecution from this Roman culture. And they're seeing this injustice happening to them. And it's very similar if you think about some of the protests that happened last, last year. You saw people's signs. They didn't necessarily say had the – well, you did see – if you saw some of the Christian protests, they had signs that said, how long, O Lord? Like, how long, O Lord, are you going to let this keep happening? This is the prayer. Uh, the prayers going up at the beginning of 8 are people saying, like, God, are you ever going to answer us? Like, are you, how long are you going to let this stuff happen to us? And this is – so just for us, you know, there's sometimes when things happen in our world that, don't, that aren't right, and we kind of, we, we struggle, right? We say, God, why do you let this stuff happen? Like, why don't you do something? These are the chapters you're going to see him do something about it. Like, this is the promise of like, I'm going to do something about it in my own time. And so... All of that that's happening is not going towards the people who are praying. Essentially, God's wrath is as a result of people praying. So how do y'all feel about that? That like your prayers to like, you know, if you're praying prayers of like, God bring justice into our world, like this might be how God brings justice into the world is like bringing like real negative consequences like how do you feel about your prayers being used to like punish somebody else or bring like negative consequences on somebody else in like a real way i don't think i've been persecuted in a way that i would pray that way in my life okay okay it also does make prayer feel more powerful yeah yeah well it's but it also just it i think it should give us pause like if you're like god make this right he might in a very direct way, you know? And so in that, all of that imagery of, of lightning and thunder and flashes of lightning, if you remember back in four, so I'm glad you brought that up about four because we're bringing back that imagery of in the throne room of God, there is this power. And that's, that's really what it's like. There's power in your prayers. Like when you pray, God is listening and he will respond. It might not be the way that you anticipated, but this, that's what's happening in this in the scene. And so now we get into the trumpets and what kind of happens in the next several chapters. You have seals, you have trumpets, and you're going to have bowls and they're all in sevens. And it don't think of it like a lot of times when we read, I talked about this last week, the last couple of weeks, when we read revelation, it's really easy to think of this like sequentially, like this happened and this happened, this happened. Think of this more like you're taking the Bible and holding it up like it's a diamond and you're looking at it in the light to see different reflections off of the off of the way the light hits a diamond. Essentially, the next several chapters are going to be a same scene repeated over and over, giving you different details. So 
you're going to see a lot of similarities in the seven, seven seals and then the seven trumpets and seven bowls because it's really retelling you the same scene. It's kind of like if you've ever seen a movie that like it shows you a scene and then it shows you the same scene a little bit later from like a different camera angle or like with a little bit different, another, an added piece of dialogue that changes the whole context of the scene. That's really what's going on here is it's like, it's adding more and more detail. So by the time we get through the sequence, you're gonna be like, oh, I really get this big full picture of what's going on. And that's just part of storytelling. If you think about Hebrew storytelling like a funnel, a lot of times that's how it would work. It'd kind of go around and around and around to drill down to like the main point as a lot of times how they would, how they would, and you would remember it because you've heard it, that repetition. There's like some, it kind of rhymes as you go. And if you are familiar with the Bible, you're going to see a lot of parallels. Um, Rome is never called Rome in Revelation. Rome is never, that, that word is never used. But you're going to see a lot of uh, parallels with Egypt and Moses in Egypt and Babylon. You know, these are, these are civilizations that are way before the Roman Empire. But this is the way they could talk about Rome openly and not get killed for it. It would be safe. So the judgments that you see in the next few verses you'll see a lot of parallels. If you remember Moses, like bringing the people out of Egypt, there's a lot of parallels here. It's going to go, it'll go pretty quick. Huh? It'll go, it'll, it'll end up going pretty quick actually. Okay. Um, what's the significance of the silence? That so it's really, again, this is, there is uh, in, in the style of apocalypse, you got to think of it like a piece of music mm-hmm. or like a beat in a, in a drama and it's kind of like if you've ever seen a movie where it's like something's getting ready to happen and there's like a pause and then it's like and then the explosion happens there's a pause and this big dramatic thing and you know it's a pause then the person catches the touchdown there's a pause yeah 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 it's it's it is it's totally like in a movie when the score cuts out because like right after the silence it's like Boom, like there's all the, yeah, it's exactly what's going on. So it's, it's trying to build up that anticipation so that you can just feel that this stuff is coming. So that's a good catch. It's a good question. Um, so into six now. So the seven angels who had seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet and there came um, hail and fire mixed with blood and it was hurled down to the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and, a, and all the green grass was burned up. Um, remember when we talk about this that it's sim- there's symbolism here. So if a third of the earth was burned up, like, and this is like historical, you would have probably heard about that, right? <laughs> like, uh, But does anybody know... Um, of a historical event that happened in the first century where, um, is it this part? My eyes are failing me again. Um, A city called Pompeii was swallowed by a volcano? Yeah, Yeah. that's what I was getting to. Yeah, so this is, so does anybody know when that happened? 
The only reason I know is because I read it today. Se- 79. So if this was in, if, if Vesuvius happens in 79, this is written in the 90s. It's only like a, maybe 10, 15 years after that actually happened. So it's very fresh in people's memory. Like, remember what happened in Vesuvius? Remember when, when, remember when Pompeii got covered with lava and ash? Like, this is the imagery that is being evoked. Is like, that is, it'd be like if we were talking about, you know, a great calamity and we thought we talked about Twin Towers or something like that. Like, we've, all seen the footage of like an airplane, like that would be a, an imagery that would be used for our context that would evoke like, okay, I understand what this means. This is this, is this kind of cataclysmic thing. Um, the second angel sounded his trumpet and something like a huge mountain. So this is where, this is where it is. I missed it. The second angel sounded his trumpet and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown uh, into the sea. And that's the Vesuvius reference right there. Um, a third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. A third of the ships were destroyed. Um, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep rolling to the end of this chapter. The third angel sounded his trumpet and a, a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky and a third of the, the rivers and all the, on the springs of the water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel um, sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, a third of the stars, and a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and a third of the night. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. Um, so obviously, if we're saying like this is supposed to mean something to the people in the first century, um, you could say, well, this is like the end, end times, the future. But again, if we talk about, um, uh, pastor David did a really good job of, of sharing this, of giving this insight. And I think it's really good for us too. We are taught us how to interpret the Bible from Genesis to Jude. And then somehow we go, but for revelation, we're going to have whole different rules. Like if there's something that shows up in Revelation that seems really wacky, I think it's it's fair to say, is this really what they're talking about? So the idea of like, you know, if the third of the stars fall out of the sky, uh, that would be like some cosmic uh, bad things happening in the universe, right? So it's more just giving this idea of these are this is significant. Um, now a third. Um, does anybody have any idea why it might be a third and not everything? Is it again because he's holding back and everything he can always be worse than he's offering? Goes back to a term that Carter brought in, I think it was last time or two times ago, restorative justice versus so restorative justice versus punitive justice. Carter's like, what did I say? You say a lot of things. <laughs> but God is always trying to restore relationship. So he's not just going to give you a consequence because you're bad and he wants you to make you feel bad. He's trying to get, if you, again, think about the Exodus. When Moses, you know, does what he does and the plagues come, the idea, he's, he's trying to change the Pharaoh's mind, right? All throughout that, and it says, that, it continues to say, but the, Pharaoh, the Pharaoh's heart was hard, and the Pharaoh's heart was hard, and the Pharaoh's heart. But the idea was he's trying to get them to let my people go. 
Um, that was like the whole idea is like, if I do this thing, it'll make you reconsider and you'll realize that you're not the ultimate power in the world. And so I'll let you go. And they, so that's the same, that's the same idea is that it's not total. Um, these are things that are being done for you to go like, oh shoot, maybe I should change. Maybe I should. And that's always God's heart is for people to change. God doesn't just smite people because he doesn't like them. He's trying to kind of move in people's hearts. Um, so how do you feel about that though? How do you feel about the idea of God using like these kind of judgments to change people's mind? Do you, how do you feel about that methodology? Do you think that's an effective way to go? What do you think? How would you respond if you were on the other side of this and God was, all these things were happening to you? Do you think that would change your mind or would it just make you more like, well, I'm definitely not following you now? What do you think? It'd be so hard to understand. Hmm? It feels a little bit like being a teacher when you have given the kids so many chances. Yeah. Yeah. It feels a little bit like God has given us so long and he's given him so many chances. He's let us be down here to like help him with his mission and they still couldn't do it to where it's like, okay, now it's my turn. Is what it feels And like. you're going to, I love that you said that because that's going to come back into play here in a, in a, in a few minutes. Um, so that's great foreshadowing without even knowing it. So, um, so we're just going to keep rolling. We're going to keep rolling into nine because it's, it's literally like the same line of text. Um, the fifth angel sounded his trumpet and I saw, oh, by the way, first, um, well, I'll, I'll say this and then I'll go, I'll recap it. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given a key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like smoke from a gigantic furnace the sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss, and out of the smoke locusts came down out on the earth and were given powers like that of the scorpion, uh, scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any, or any plant or tree, but only the people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So a couple things. Um, what do you all know about Satan? Like his history. Fallen angel. And so, matter of fact, the greatest of all the angels. So I don't know if you guys know, but angels have ranks. So archangels are like the top angels, and there's like other angels that kind of fall in line. And so uh, Lucifer, who was the angel of all angels, thought he would, you know, was the most beautiful thing ever created, thought I can, I can do God's job better than he can was cast out of heaven. And so the imagery you see in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, a lot of times is a star falling out of the sky. Is that's, that's like when, that's, when you hear star falling out of the sky, it's talking about Satan pretty much any time you see that. And so essentially what John is getting at is 
Satan is going to start doing some bad stuff, but it's only because God is allowing it. Like everything you are reading and everything we're talking about tonight, like that idea that God is sovereign and he's allowing these crazy, awful things to happen, but it's still like within his purview so it doesn't get too nuts. Um, like, like we were kind of talking about before, there's, there's still some holding back going on. There's still some reigning in going on, but, um, and this whole sequence, I'll just say the next three chapters are some of the most, like the reason I'm not going to go into depth and interpret every little thing is because it's some of the least agreed upon scripture of all biblical interpretation. And so I'm not going to pretend to be here and say, sit here and say, I am so smart. I'm going to give you the answer of what this means. Because I think the point is the imagery of, you know, even just the things like locusts, but have powers of scorpions. Like, you know, there are people that would say like, this is about Apache attack helicopters and the rotors sound like locusts. And there's like, we're not going to go there. We're just not going to go there. The, I, the, the point is, this is the stuff of your nightmares that is coming. Like, these are just awful, awful things that are coming out. And Satan is kind of holding the, pulling the strings of all this stuff. Um, now, here's the idea. So this is really important. This is why, and I'll just kind of throw it out here. I know that there are many that will disagree with me. I don't believe, and the way I interpret Revelation... I don't believe in the, I grew up with it, but I don't believe in the left behind theology where you have like Christians who at some point are going to get raptured or sort of like taken away from all the terrible things. And then the terrible things are going to happen to everybody else. Um, if you look again, if you parallel Exodus, which you see a lot of it, a lot of the parallels with Exodus in, and revelation, this is why I don't, I don't hold to that. Um, if you think about how God dealt with the, ex, the Israelites in Exodus, like what happened to God's people in Egypt while all these plagues were going on? They were there. They were protected from the effects of it, but they were there. They weren't like, they didn't get out of Egypt and then the plagues came. They were in the middle of it. God just took care of them and sustained them. And so this whole idea of um, the seal of God's people, only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. The idea that, and again, we, I don't want to get wrapped up in like, well, I got to get a, so I got a, tattoo, a tattoo of a seal on my forehead or I need to get, you know, the whole, we're going to get into the mark of the beast in a, pretty quick here, actually. I think not this week, but. The next two weeks, we're going to get into the whole Mark of the Beast thing. Um, the idea isn't so much that you have like a physical seal. The idea is that you have given your life, your allegiances to Jesus, and that sets you apart. And so if you have given your allegiances to Jesus, you are one of these sealed people. Because the, the book of Revelation is a lot about allegiances. So... Um, so going back to these, these, these nightmares, and we're talk, they're not allowed to kill them, and they're talking about the people who weren't sealed, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffer was like the sting of a scorpion when it strikes. 
During those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will, they will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, they were something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails like stingers, like scorpions, and in their tails they had the power to torment people for five months. They had as king over them, angel of the abyss, whose, whose uh, name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek it is Apollyon, that is the destroyer. Again, these are more names for, for the devil. The first woe is past, two other woes are yet to come. And so just in this part, um, again, there's a lot of like discussion, differences of opinion. The idea, the bottom line is this is stuff that they were afraid of. This is stuff that they would have been concerned about in that culture. Um, There are some that will say that the whole reference to long hair and um, crowns of gold. Some people will say we're talking about the barbarians from the north, which would have been like my ancestors from Germany, our ancestors from Germany and from England. Um, at this point, were barbarians. They were, and there was always a threat from the north. And we're going to get into that again in a little bit of an invading army coming in for the north. They were always worried about, and you see this throughout the first three, 400 years of the, Rome, of the Roman Empire in this, and you know, from zero to 400 AD, you see they're always worried about invading armies coming through. And they were worried about the barbarians. And so like a Roman citizen, if you just said like these blonde haired people, there's not a lot of blonde haired people in the Middle East, right? That's not, that's not something they were familiar with. And so we're talking about long hair, blonde people. Now we're talking about, you know, somebody from the North invading. That scares me. Okay. I'm now I'm worried. Now I'm nervous. So, but it's not so much to read into that specificity. It's just, um, the imagery that's being evoked is like, this is stuff that would keep people up at night. This is things that they were afraid of. These are things that would make them nervous. Um, So we keep going. I want, I want to keep going just because we do have a lot to get through, and I want to make sure we dig into a couple things here. Uh, verse 13, the sixth angel sounded his trumpet. I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said on the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels that are bound to the great river Euphrates. Now, again, the reason why I said the whole thing about barbarians is Euphrates was sort of the northern border for their for their area and so we're talking about the invaders from the north here the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour um, and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind the number of the mounted troops was twice ten thousand times ten thousand i heard their number which we talked about ten thousand when it when it says ten thousand times ten thousand that means any? yeah it's just it's a it's too many 10,000 is the biggest number that the Greeks had in ancient Greek. They didn't have a number bigger than 10,000. So whenever you see them say 10,000, it's just like this is a – and so 10,000 times 10,000 means like 
it's just, I can't count them all. Like, it's just, it's like a vast, that's the way they talk about numbers that are these huge numbers. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fire red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. Their heads of the horsemen resembled heads of lions, and the, out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of the mankind was killed by three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes, having heads um, with which they could inflict injury. Again, this is like, it doesn't really, there's not like an animal that you can think of that looks like this. The rest of the mankind, so, so here's going back to Jackie's point. So I'm glad that you'd set this up just beautifully. Verse 20, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, or wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their, of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. So the whole idea is like, what they're hearing is God might send out an invading army and let, let them come attack, because this has happened. And actually, the interesting thing about kind of the Roman Empire and persecution is when there was a threat from an outside army is when the church tended not to be persecuted because they didn't have time for it. They were just too worried about losing their, losing their country. And so, the, or their empire, and so they kind of left the Christians alone. When there wasn't a threat from an outside army, that's when Christian persecution. Used, there was a direct correlation between how threatening were other countries, and how based. And so, what, if it was a high threat, they kind of left the Christians alone. If there was a low threat, they kind of really took it to the Christians. And so, um, so this is something they were constantly worried about. And so, this is just evoking that, hey, you know, like God might let that army you know, come through and and take you guys out if you don't change your ways. And as a result, back to Jackie's point, they do not. And this is pretty typical of scripture, even though God is all about restorative justice. um, It's pretty typical that um, people don't, people don't change. I mean, you guys know that, right? You have friends that you know, have a, have a family member that's killed by a drunk, you know, killed by a drunk driver. Or they drive and, you know, they, they get an accident while they're intoxicated, but then they drink and drive. Like, it's like, oh, this isn't going to happen to me or I, I'm not, this isn't, this isn't about me. It's never about me. It's, and that's one thing about Revelation, I think that is really, um, it's kind of sobering. Like, consequences are real. Like, you, they're, you're, your, what you do in your life, there are consequences for. Yes, God is gracious, and yes, God forgives, but there's consequences. And Revelation really gets into, like, it might look like, and I kind of say this every week, but it might look like there are people in our world that do awful things and get away with it. There's going to be consequences for them. Like, they're going to, like, you know, like, Adolf Hitler, not going to have a great time. Not going not gonna to have a great time. Um some of the people in our country that are wealthy, that, you know, made their millions off of, you know, child labor, you know, or, or made their fortunes off of mistreating their employees, not going to go great for them. They're going to, they're going to, there's going to be consequences for all that. 
Um, so this is designed again. Revelate, yeah. Loaded. Bring it on. If, so we're talking about those like people that we seem to hold as like those are the worst of the worst. But then what about people that just don't repent of their everyday sins like pride, sexual morality? Like is there a spot in there where it says different consequences will be held for different sins? Because it says that all sins are created equal, right? Right. So like no. where do we go with that? No, it's true. I mean, I think this specific passage is talking about, it's specifically, so Revelation is specifically designed to be a book of hope for the early church who was just struggling to make it. Okay. So that's specifically what's being referenced here. But you see, like, sexual immorality is part of that list Mm -hmm. at the end. Um, And it was all over the place. Um, We talk about sometimes our culture and like, oh, man, look at all this. But I mean, there was stuff happening just on the side of the streets, like in the streets of some of these cities that would make you go like, I can't believe, like, look, your like, family could be walking down the street and see just like a very graphic sex act, like just out in the open. I mean, so it was, um, that's not to say that like, that's so bad. And like the, some of the stuff that we do in our age is, is not, is, is fine. Um, the, the issue of, all of this is the repentant part of it. Mm-hmm. That's really, I think, the point of Revelation is, you know, not that you should feel like, hey, I mean, we think we talked about this like a couple weeks ago, that I think we often are grace abusers where like we do stuff and we're like, well, but God's going to forgive me, so I'll just make sure I get my my slate cleaned and then I'm good, I'm good to go again. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of like going back to, I think the, the, the classroom illustration is a really good one. You know, if you have a kid in your classroom that hits somebody, you say, stop, and they go, I'm sorry, and then they hit him again, are they really sorry? No. And we do that, right? Like, we, and I do that. Like I do stuff that I'm like, oh, God, gosh, I did it again. I'm so sorry. And it's like, well, are you really sorry, or do you just not want to get in trouble? Yeah. You know, like, Am I really sorry that I got a speeding ticket or am I really just sorry that you, you, had, you had your radar gun up when I was happened to be driving by? Mm-hmm. Uh, those are, that's, and we, we struggle with that. Like I think one thing that Revelation helps us out with a lot is lament and repentance because we don't do – like those are not – you don't grow a church that way. Hey, we're going to do the summer on lamenting our brokenness. Mm-hmm. Who's in for that? Like, that's, you're not going to, like, have a crowd of people, like, or we're going to do a summer of repentance. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to come every week and just pour out all of our crap, and we're going to spend the summer just, like, cleaning that stuff out. Like, we don't really want to deal with that stuff. We don't really want to look at that stuff. And I think what we do a lot of times, we just look towards the next person and say, well, at least I'm not as bad as Carter, you know, at least I'm not as bad as, you know, at least I'm not as bad as that person that I, you know, and we, that we use that a lot of times to justify, I think, a lot of things. So, did you have, your, I saw your hand. Yeah, this is like probably going to be a really stupid question because it's not really on track, but it just like made me curious. Like where it says, um, or did they repent of their, like my translation says, murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts, like, I know that Mikey says magic arts. So, like, when it's talking about, like, sorcery or magic arts, is that kind of, like, talking about people who were, like, pretending to be God? Or, like, 
I think it's giving worship to, I mean, there was temples to all sorts of stuff. And there were, you know, priests that would do, I mean, there's a guy that's a magician in, in the book of Acts that they meet that is doing this stuff in the name of this. And I mean, I think that's one thing. I mean, there is spiritual warfare is a real thing. I mean, that's the, one of the underlying themes of Revelation 2 is that, like, the devil's a real being. Now, the devil isn't as powerful as God. And I think a lot of times we think of God and Satan as, like, two equals, like, going at it. No, Satan is just an angel. It's like God is, like, all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent. Satan is not all-powerful, all-knowing, or all-present. He can only be in one place at a time. So, like, even sometimes when, and this is getting a little bit technical, but I think it's a good, it's a good question. You know, people will say, man, Satan is really coming at me. Realistically, Satan's probably not coming at any one of us. It's probably a demon. Satan is probably coming at, like, the president. Or somebody who has, like, a lot of ability to, like, make an impact on a very wide scale. That's who Satan is going after, is the people who have, like, large influence over, like, the people that are coming at us are probably, like, demons, just to be, to, to, to be real. Satan, so, but a lot of times we give Satan, like, that when we have that fear, like, Satan is so, like, he's not everywhere. He can't read your mind. He doesn't know what's going on. Like, it doesn't have the same ability as God. They're not equals. Um, but there definitely is, I mean, all sorts of weird occult stuff going on today, even. And there's stuff like that. I mean, people were praying and doing rituals and, you know, human sacrifice. And today people still do blood rituals and all kinds of weird occult things. And like, and if you, if, I would even say, people will like, well, it's made by Parker Brothers. Like, Ouija boards. Like, not good. Like, you're tapping into, like, yeah, it could be just people moving things around and scaring each other. But, like, that is based off of occult practices. And you don't want to be inviting that into your life. Like, you just don't want to be inviting, like, anything that's a spiritual force and giving it, because really, it is something that you really have to kind of invite in. Like, it's not, again, they're not, it's not, it's not an equal battle. Like, a, so I don't, I'm, it's probably more detail than you were looking for. But, I mean, I think it's anytime you have that kind of occult kind of stuff going on. I think it's people tapping into like the dark spiritual stuff. I think that's, I mean, you probably get people that are also pretending and doing the whole thing, but I think really it's people that are tapping into that dark. Cause it's people do it today. I mean, there's some, I mean, if you go into like Charles Manson and the stuff he was doing when he was a serial, like they're tapping into some really spooky, just blood curdling things. Like it's, it happens. It's happening now. Like there is some, Dark stuff happening in our world, like, right now. That's kind of what it's getting into. Um, okay. Um, 
Why do you think, so going back to the end of, of nine, and then we're, we're going to move pretty fast. Um, so we're, it's only nine o'clock and we're like halfway through guys. We're right. We're good. We're good. We guys are like four chapters. Um, why do you think God goes through the exercise of doing all this stuff when there's still a lot of people who aren't going to change their mind? And he, he's got to know that. And doesn't give up on us. No. I mean, I think that's the thing too that hopefully that's, again, like this is designed to be an encouraging book. As much as we're talking about judgment and death and destruction, like it's designed to say like God is going to, God does not give up on you. You might give up on you, but God doesn't give up on you. I think that's something to, to really hold on to. Um, so we get into um, ten, chapter 10. And this is pretty cool. I saw another angel, another mighty angel coming down from heaven. Um, he was robed with a cloud, with a rainbow above his head, based like the sun, his legs like fiery pillars. Okay, I'm just going to pause real quick. Does that remind you of anybody that we have read about in this study of Revelation? Way at the beginning of our study, Revelation. Didn't David go through the, how Jesus was described in the beginning with iron, heat, or bronze? No, bronze, bronze. Or stuff like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, there have been some that said this is talking about Jesus. Well, it's, I don't think it's talking about Jesus because when Jesus is talked about in Revelation, it's the lion or it's the lamb or it's just Jesus. Like when it's an angel, it's an angel. But this is an angelic being that is reflecting characteristics of Jesus. Now here's why it's, it's cool to me. And I'm a Bible nerd, so like this is the stuff that... Um, there's a lot of Old Testament in this description. So um, think about Moses and the Israelites... How does it, where, where does a cloud show up with Moses and the Israelites? Those of you guys that remember the old Sunday school lessons. And what about fire? Yeah, it, lead, it leads them. It's kind of like their GPS. Like they, so they have a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night to guide them through the wilderness. Well, look at this angel. He was robed in a cloud. His legs were like fiery pillars. Again, this is like bringing back, like God is, this is, God is leading them through this tribulation. I mean, we, there, there's this theology that talks about the tribulation being like some, but no, we're, what, what the author of, what John's trying to get us to is just realizing that like, Time, it's, it, there is tr- tough times that Christians have to go through throughout history. And so um, what about a rainbow in the Old Testament? After the flood, Noah. 
Anytime you see a rainbow in Revelation, it always symbolizes a covenant between God and people. Every single time. So you have this powerful image of this angel that like has these characteristics of cloud and the sun and fiery pillars holding a little scroll, which they open in his hand. Now, this is not like the scroll we had earlier, which had like four, you know, seven seals that had to be broken open. This is already open and it's, it's, um, it's lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. Why do you think that sounds pretty pretty enormous? Why? What do, what do you think? What do you think is being communicated here? Right, one foot's on the land, one foot's on the sea. It's a huge thing. Any thoughts? He's covering the whole earth. Yeah, it's the idea of authority over all. So anytime you see, you're going to see it again. You're going to see these, you're going to, a little bit later, you're going to see something with a foot in the land, a foot in the sea. It's like there's a great authority, great authority over, over this. He gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. Again, that's, that's Jesus' imagery again. When he shouted, the voice of seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Now, this is pretty typical of apocalypse, of apocalyptic literature, is that a lot of times it's, it's sealed up. It's not, sh- like, it's not shared immediately. So this is like our first instance where it's like we don't get to know what. And it's not like there's another book of Revelation. It's like, oh, by the way, back in chapter 10, this is what we don't get to know. There's some secrets, secret stuff going on here. Um, but then we get to the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land, raised his right hand to heaven. Again, we talked, um, Pastor David talked about it on Sunday. We talked about it again last week. Anytime it's the right hand, that's the dominant hand. That's the power hand. Um, and raise his right hand to heaven and swore. What happens when you get sworn in in the court? You raise your right hand to swear in and say, will you tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God. That's what he's doing. He's raising his right hand to swear what I'm going to do is this is the truth. He swore by him who lives forever and ever, who who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea that is all in it. There shall be no more delay, no more breaks. But the days of the seventh angel is about to sound the trumpet. The mysteries of God will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice I had heard from the heavens spoke to me, once more, go and take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who was standing on the sea on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him for the, to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. Why would he tell him to eat it? That's kind of weird. Is it like during communion we eat the body and blood of Christ? Okay, talk, talk, more, about, talk more about that. Why do we do that? You put me on the spot. <laughs> okay, that's okay. Just meaning like faith is a really 
Yeah. There actually is a really good book by a guy named Eugene Peterson who wrote the message translation called Eat This Book. And that's the idea is like to, 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 because a lot of times we just, well, like, this is kind of my issue sometimes with like Bible reading plans is they're not really designed to like, it's like, you need to read five chapters of the book of Romans today. Well, you can't like digest five chapters of the book of Romans in a day. It's unless you've got hours, there's a lot of stuff there. And so it's this idea of take this and just take it in. But this is key. Take and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but it will in your mouth, it will be sweet as honey. Why do you think when he eats this scroll, that's the word of God to him, it's sweet at first, but it's sour in his stomach. Because a lot of things on the surface are like really nice and pleasant, but as soon as you have to actually like live with it, there's times where it's not as great as we think it is. Well, and really think about like what we're reading right now. It's hard. This is a hard teaching. This is like consequences and tough stuff. So it's like, it's sweet because like, oh, this is God speaking to me. Like, this is awesome. Like, I, this is such a privilege to like be able to open this word up. But then when you start to internalize it and you see yourself and where you fall short and you realize the implications it has for your life, it's like, you get a little indigestion. It's like, oh man, I don't, I don't feel great now after. Like I was excited to come to Bible study tonight until I realized we were going to talk about judgment. And now I'm not feeling great. I got to go home and think about some stuff. Like that's what the idea is going on with this. Um, so I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. My, it tasted as sweet as honey, but when I had eaten it, it my stomach turned sour then I was told, you must prophesy again with many peoples, nation, languages, and kings. And that's in addition. So he's gotten this word. He's excited to get it. He takes it in. He realizes, oh, my gosh, this is really serious business. And then in addition, he tasks John to say, you've got to tell people about this. Like, you have a responsibility now to tell people about this cannot keep this to yourself. And I know that is very kind of contradictory in our culture where we don't want to, we go, oh, they don't want to hear it. I don't want to say anything, but like, like this is consequences for everybody, you know? Yeah. So I have a question. So is what was written on the scroll, is that like what was said and that like he was starting to write down, but then like was told to stop writing or is like what was on the scroll, like was that never read by the um, I think there's two different things. So I think the thing that was like sealed up, that's, that's different stuff. Cause he actually didn't, um, yeah, it doesn't, no. So the thunders thing, it never comes back to that actually. Like we never get to find out like, like what's on the scroll. Cause he gets it and it's already opened up. Like when he gets, that's before the thunders even speak. So, so like, I'm just wondering if like he knew what was on the scroll or if he just like straight up ate the scroll like without hearing. Like, 
No, I think he knew he took it. It was because he understood the implications of what was in that scroll. that He was like, oh, crap. Like, I got to tell people I got to deliver some bad news to some people. And I don't want to do this. I don't want to. That's really what's going on in that passage. Yeah, I mean, he didn't eat this. He he read the scroll and took it. The message. That's what you're. Again, that's a symbolism. He didn't just like. He didn't just like. Yeah, no. No, it's just, again, it's symbolism of this. It's like yeah, he took it in. and He's like, oh, like he's. <laughs> no, he he read it and took it in to himself and realized, yeah. Plant based. He's vegan. That's why his stomach was upset. Too much fiber. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're heading into 11. <laughs> no, this is good. I love it. This is fun. This is... No, it's really good. No, this is, I love this. This is, this is great. This is great. All right, we're in 11. So you're already on the last, we're already on the last chapter. Okay, I was given a, read, or given a read like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers. So just going to pause there. Um, whenever you see, because this actually goes back, if you want to make a little note, Ezekiel 40 and 42 in the Old Testament, God takes a measuring reed and goes and measures out the temple. And you're going to see it later on again. Measuring doesn't mean like a tape measure. Like, okay, you know, Carter's a 42 long and we're going to, like, that's not what, that's not. It's, anytime you see measuring in this kind of literature, it's a close inspection, giving something. We're going in for a closer look to get, like, the, the close detail of this thing. Go and measure the temple of God and the altar of his worshipers. Exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it's been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. Now, on the face of that, that seems really harsh. Because in the Jewish temple, there was the temple court, the court of women, and the court of the Gentiles. And that's the way it's segregated. The court, uh, the regular temple court, where if you were a man who had gone through the purification, you could go and worship in that. If you're a woman and you're Jewish, you could do that and you could go in the court of the women. And if you're a Gentile, you could hang out in the outer courts. Um, it was segregated like that. And so when you look at this, you go like, man, I thought that like Jesus came for everybody and that he wants us to go out. And he was like, we, we've talked a lot about the love for Gentiles, like, what's the deal? Well, what did Jesus say about the temple? Those of you guys who remember the teachings of the Gospels, what did Jesus say about the temple? It's just getting into how the church is not confined to a building, but it's the people within it. So the temple is not, 
we're not talking about a building. The temple, measuring the temple, measuring the temple courts. We're talking about the community of believers. So the, the community of believers is being, is being examined. And the, outer, the Gentiles, we're not, it's not talking about people who aren't Jews. It's talking about people who aren't following Jesus. It's talking about really the, the Greek and Roman culture that was giving them such a hard time. He's basically saying, I'm going to come around you guys. I'm going to take care of you. But these people, well, they're going to trample on you for the next three and a half years. Which three and a half years is not meant to be three and a half years. It's supposed to be just it's a period of time. So they're going to come and trample on you. But I'm going to appoint two witnesses. And they'll prophecy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. Does anybody know what the symbol what they use sackcloth for in the Bible times? A lot of times it'd be accompanied with ashes. If you if you ever read the book of Job, they sat in sackcloth and ashes. Anybody? It's gotta read the Old Testament, guys. It's, it's got, there's a lot of stuff there. <laughs> What's that? I read Joe, but I didn't think about it. It's so whenever they would be in mourning, like if a family member dies, you put on a sackcloth and you cover your head in ashes and you sit in it. That's how you let everybody know, like, don't talk to me right now because I'm I'm in my feelings and I'm going through it right now. So leave me alone. Um, and so that's what's going on. So the so you've got these two representatives, two witnesses. And this is the same idea when Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Like These are representing people that are representing God. Okay, And they're coming from a place of brokenness because of all the crap that's going on, all the persecutions going on. Um, they are the two olive trees and the two lampstands. This is kind of going back to this idea, this menorah imagery that we went back to. We talked about the churches being the light. So they're, they're trying to be the light. And they stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. Again, we're not literally have fire breathing prophets, but they are, they've got a powerful word. They've got a powerful word that can endure um, opposition. This is how anyone who wants, uh, this is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time that they prophesy. So there's two prophets that this is going to represent. Well, let me, let me keep going because it's going to get to it. They have the power to turn water into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Now, when they had finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them. So time out. There's two witnesses. One calls down fire from the sky, from heaven. Does anybody remember an Old Testament person that called down fire from the sky with some prophets of Baal? Elijah. Elijah. Yeah. Elijah lived during a time when the church, you know, the, the believers were being persecuted. He was the only faithful prophet left. He gets into a contest with the prophets of Baal. He calls down fire from heaven. And so they're saying this is a person 
that is like Elijah, has ministry, this passionate ministry that goes in the face of insurmountable odds. So that's, that's one of them. The other one is, has power to turn the water into blood. Who do you know in the Old Testament turns water into blood? Moses. Again, we're going back to this. Egypt. Egypt. Rome. And so, and Moses is a big deal. Like Moses is a big deal for us, but Moses is like a big deal for the Jewish faith. I mean, like rescued that like that story of Passover, that story of rescuing them out of slavery in Egypt, like that is probably the core story of Judaism is Moses bringing the people out of Egypt. And so this is a huge, I mean, that if you're going to say if you want to say who are like the powerful prophets, Elijah and Moses, these are the heavy hitters. These are the people that as soon as they're talking, as soon as these descriptions are given, you're like, oh, word, this is for real. These are, this is, this is real stuff. Okay. But after they finish their testimony, verse seven, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them, overpower them and kill them. Their, their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where, where also their Lord was crucified. Now, what city was Jesus crucified in? <laughs> no shade. Outside of the city of, they rode in on Palm Sunday to, it's really important to Jewish people. Yeah, Jerusalem. So. You guys are smarter than you think. Let's go. So, so Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is the capital city of the Bible. I mean, it's called Zion. It's it's literally that's why I mean Jerusalem gets attacked and destroyed a couple times in history. And that's why you had the book. If you ever want to read some lament, some sackcloth and ashes, read, read Lamentations. Lamentations is a whole book of the Bible being like, why did you let this happen, God? Why is everything on fire? Why did you let people do this stuff? That's the whole book of Lamentations. So does it ever say in the Bible that Jerusalem will not be called the capital of... It just happened. What country is Jerusalem? <laughs> <laughs> Israel? Yeah. Because <laughs> it's not right now, right? In the real world? Well, it, there's, it, some debate. there's some debate. Sorry. Yeah. But does it ever say that it, like, there'll be debate over that? Or have we just royally messed that one up? That's a longer conversation. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I will just say this. I will just say this. The country of Israel that currently exists has only been around since 1947. Like, or 40, 
48. 48, yeah. You know. <laughs> I'm good with the modern history. <laughs> but like Israel has been, the issue with Israel is that it hasn't really been, like for a lot of its hist- modern history, it's not been a sovereign nation because it's been invaded by other countries and ruled by other people. Like at this point in the first century, Rome, it's really a part of the Roman Empire. Like, it's not like you go to Jerusalem and, yeah, they have a high priest and, yeah, they have the Sanhedrin, but Pontius Pilate's in charge, you know, and when Jesus is alive and the Caesars are in charge, like, it's part of the Roman Empire. That's, it's, it's basically the way it's been for, for a long time. Really, ever since 586 B.C. or 587, depending on how you count, um, that's when Babylon came in and destroys. God gives them so many chances and jeremiah is literally called the wailing prophet because he is their prophet that's appointed he's part of the royal family and he just is shouting to anybody listen like we're all gonna die and this place is gonna get destroyed will you just stop and he does that that's his whole ministry and nobody will listen to him could you imagine that life like Haley, you're gonna be a prophet and no one's gonna listen to you and no one's gonna like you but you just got to keep saying the thing that nobody wants to hear for your whole life. That was, his, that was his ministry. That was his calling. And so he's called the Wailing Prophet. He literally crawled around naked and begged people to change their ways. And they would not. I'm, you just, look. I'm just picturing that. Like somebody <laughs> like coming up to you on the streets. Just like... <laughs> scars and filth all over them just saying please just stop it and <laughs> that was doesn't paint the best picture how many people listen to it <laughs> like, maybe if you put a robe on people listen <laughs> but he, he started off as like a member he's like redescended from royalty Which is why we're studying it. Because Study. <laughs> <laughs> I think I really. I think we're making some magic. It's so that we can change our ways before we have a naked man crawling. <laughs> <laughs> it is filth. <laughs> and I would, I would, I would suggest that there already are people that are crying out to the church right now, saying, "Will you please?" listen and we are not doing that so um that's let's um so i mean that i mean really that's why we're that's why we're working through this because i think it's very applicable to our so so you have um so i mean they're calling what do you guys know about sodom what do you know about Sodom and Gomorrah? They were naughty. <laughs> <laughs> For everyone on Spotify listening, Sodom was naughty. <laughs> naughty. Oh, man. We love you, Spotify listeners. Whoever is listening to this, there were 10... 
were there were there were ten downloads the first week, so ten some people listened to it. So, um, but yeah, Sodom was like when Sodom you 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 don't want your city like references like Sodom. That's not a good like. Hey, your city's like Sodom. Like, no, that's bad. It's not good. And Egypt, equally, Egypt are the slave masters. They are the worshipers of false gods. So when it says, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where the Lord was crucified, they're talking about Jerusalem. This place is supposed to be the headquarters of, you know, where heaven meets earth. Uh, no, not, 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 not so much, not so much. Um, they are the ones that killed Jesus, right? Like that's where Jesus gets crucified. This is also where these representatives are going to be killed. Three and a half days, some from every tribe. Ooh. For three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on the bodies and refuse them burial. So juxtapose that with... <laughs> it's not ha- it's not a happy chapter. So Revelation 7 9, we talked about heaven, right? Every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping around the throne. It's a beautiful picture. Well, you also have people from every tribe, tongue, and nation who are saying, I don't want any part of this. I, I do not want the church to be successful. I do not want to join Jesus. I do not want to be a part of this. I'm going to be actively against this. And to refuse somebody burial is the ultimate disrespect. It is the, like when someone dies, you must quickly get them to your, their body taken care of. You must get it out of the public view. You must get it out of the, and to say, we're just going to let these corpses just lay rotting in the streets is like, you are not even worth it. You're not worth the time to give a proper burial. It's going to let you just sit there and let your body just fester. So it's really like the utmost, you're trying to communicate like just utter contempt for the people of the church that are trying to say, tell the truth are being totally disrespected, totally just thrown out. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them. We'll celebrate sending each other gifts Because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. But after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and terror struck those who saw them. I bet they did. They heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake, and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. And the survivors were terrified and gave glory to God in heaven. Second woe is past. The third woe is coming soon. Okay. Now what do we do? So you've got this horrible thing that's just happened. Um. But what, where is the encouragement in verses 13 and 14? Because there is encouragement and implicit in that, those two verses. And that there were a lot of people 
So one-tenth, yeah, they died, but nine-tenths said, oh, we get it now. So there's, there's a, there is a redemptive outcome to this, these martyrs, their lives, is that, and all this stuff that happens, there are people that are going to say, oh, shoot, okay, get it now. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord, and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on the thrones before, the, before God fell on their faces and worshiped, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is, who was, because you've taken your great power and you've begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was open, and within his temple was the Ark of the Covenant. There came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. So, that is a great, you just said something, you didn't even know you said it. So, when Jesus, so, when Jesus is on the cross, what's the last thing he says before he breathes his last? Yeah, it is finished or it, other translation, it is accomplished is another translation of that. So what's accomplished? What's finished? That happened 2,000 years ago. We're still here. What, what was accomplished? Heaven became available to earth. Okay. What is I that? I feel like it's happening again here. So what's the implications of that? What, what, what really happened on the cross? Right? Yep. That's part of it. What Haley said is part of it. Um, I used a word last week. It starts with an E. Does anyone remember what, what that word is? It starts with an E-S. Like, uh, Eschatology. Is the word. <laughs> so eschatology is what's that? What will yeah? What will come? Where is history going? Like where? What's where is God's? Where does this? How does this resolve? And we live in what's called a realized eschatology, and what that means is. When Jesus dies on the cross, yes, it gives us access to God. Yes, it offers forgiveness for our sins. But what it really begins, it begins to usher in this moment. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. That the kingdom of God is like, yes, Jesus is coming back someday and we're going to see that. And that's going to like bring all this stuff to a close. But there's this sense, and this is the a phrase you'll hear a lot in theology when it comes to this, is 
already but not yet. That there's aspects of this that are already happening and there are aspects of this that are not yet happening. And that has been going on for the last 2,000 years. And so part of our job as God's people is to give glimpses. To give glimpses of what does it look like when the kingdom of God, and we're going to get to that um, at the very last uh, two chapters, you're going to see what it looks like when the kingdom of God is fully ushered in. But really, if you want to see what the kingdom of God looks like, read the Sermon on the Mount. Because that's Jesus' vision of the kingdom of God is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. Like, that's the picture of how it looks like when people live together in, the kingdom of, in a kingdom society. Uh, when Pastor Johan was here, you guys talked about a kingdom society. Like that's what we're talking about is that it's a different it's a different way that we live together, and it was begun, and so we are to give glimpses of what that looks like, and we get it right sometimes. Um, but this is like in its fullness, and you've got God's temple in heaven with the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, it's like you've got the Old Testament and the New Testament like coming together. It's funny because I was just watching Raiders of the Lost Ark um, the other day and I think about the end of that movie when like the Nazis try to open the Ark of the Covenant and their faces melt off because they're messing with this power. Like that's, I, I love that because I think it's actually pretty accurate. Like I think if you tried to mess with that, like it would not go well for you. Um, and so, um, as we look at this, there's two kingdoms. And this is really the theme that's going to run for the rest of the book now. And we get dragons next week, by the way. So if you've been waiting for the dragons, the dragons are coming on the scene in the next next week. You just shouldn't have a life, guys. Just don't ever go, don't ever travel anywhere and don't have a life. Just kind of buy <laughs> um, no, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. But um, this is the two questions I want you to walk away from to think about tonight. Oh, my brain's a little full. I don't know. You got a pen. You can write them down and think about them later. Okay. Two questions. What does it look like to be faithful to the kingdom of God today? Easy. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> so that's what does it look like to be faithful to the kingdom of God today? And Matthew 5 through 7 is a good hint. Now, here's the other question. Let me know when you're ready for it. Although there are actually people writing things down, this is amazing. Well, I just remember like teaching high school Sunday school when people were like half awake and being trying to just do anything I could to get people to not fall asleep. It's in the morning. It's in the morning. I know. <laughs> Matthews five through seven. Question two. What's that? Um, I remember one Sunday in that classroom where you were just like, guys, like, I know that everyone's like stressed out this week, so 
Like we can just like turn the lights down. If you need to sleep, just sleep. <laughs> 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 I get it. <laughs> I I think I remember that because I think I walked in and everybody was just like, <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm just like, screw it. There's no point. <laughs> like, it's nap, it's nap day. Like, <laughs> Mama asks, sermon on the mount. Yeah, yeah. You, um, okay, second question. What is the kingdom of the world, and how do we challenge it? Write it down. Hey, you guys wanted to come to a Bible study in Revelation. I'm not, it's like, this is, this is, really, do you really want to know what it's about or what? <laughs> I want to go back. It's like the Matrix. Like, give me the other pill. I just want to go back to pretend like everything's. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Can you repeat the question? What is the kingdom of the world, and how do we challenge it? Because that, I think, is our job, and that will probably make you fairly unpopular, if I'm being honest. <laughs> like I'm in. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> no, but I mean I think this is the thing I, I was talking to uh so I am part of an anti-racism group with some covenant pastors that I, I I lead a group once a month and we were talking about the kingdom of God. We were talking about this stuff and I said the thing about the kingdom of God is it doesn't fit neatly into any of our boxes. Like for a lot of my friends I'm too, I'm either too liberal for my conservative friends or I'm too conservative for my liberal friends. Cause I don't like, I don't agree with everything with either. Like I'm not, I'm not a Republican and I'm not a Democrat. I'm neither. Cause I don't agree. Like where it doesn't, it's not, there isn't, there is not a kingdom of God represented. Now there could be candidates that get closer to it, but there is no like perfect reflection of the kingdom of God in our per- current structure. There just isn't because there's candidates that, I mean, you guys know, hopefully by now, you know, politicians enough to know, like they can say whatever they want on TV, but meanwhile, somebody's giving them a check under the table to say this or vote for that. Or, I mean, it's just, it's just a reality. Like there's so much corruption. There's even the good people. I mean, even like Joe and I were talking about division one sports and you have like coaches that are held up as like, this coach is like a really good guy and he's cleans, runs a really clean program. But like most of them, even like the really good clean coaches have like, you know, players that are paid, you know, people that are paid to cheat on tests for their star players so they can stay eligible. And I mean, it's just, it's just like, it's really hard to find in our world like a good faithful example of the kingdom of God. It's just, it's just too easy. Like the stuff when you're so used to compromise that you just, it's really hard to find it. So that's why like, I don't, you'll never hear me be like, this is the candidate, man. They just have it all figured out. Like, like all, I want to slap them all. Like I just, I do. I just get frustrated with all of them. They just drive me crazy. 
Um, politicians drive me crazy. Donald, you just run for president What's that? Can you just run for president? No. <laughs> Golly. No. Do you know? How, well, here. Can I? Let me say. Let me tell you this. Actually, that's. Thank you for saying that. Because it has been tried and it has been a terrible disaster. And every time that there has been a country that has tried to like Christianize themselves and make heaven on earth, it has always ended in bloodshed. Every time. Well, there's the Crusades. There, but there actually there was a. So there was a. Um, I think it was in. It was in. I know it was in Europe. I want to say it was in Switzerland or was it? I can't. I, I'll, I'll do a little homework and I'll come back to you. But they basically said, like, if you want to live here, you got to be Christian. We're going to be Christians with each other. And if you don't, we're going to kill you. What was the time frame on that? It was post-Reformation. Yeah, it's post, it was post, like, you're like, well, that was the, now that we're Protestants, like, no, these were all Protestants that were, like, literally, well, are you a Calvinist? Or do I need to stab you through the head with a sword? You know, like, that is what we stink and do because we have too much of this stuff. So that's why I will never run for office ever. <laughs> do not vote for me. You can put do not vote for Tom signs up everywhere. Do not vote for me. On the next ballot, I write in not Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody but Tom. I will literally take anyone. Just not Tom. Just not Tom. <laughs> anyway, all right. I think that's probably enough for tonight. Let me let me pray for this mess. We still got for this mess. I mean, it, it's supposed to be eight to nine thirty, but it's fine. I just go till ten every night. <laughs> well, does it? Well, does anybody have any other questions? I mean, there's we went through, we plowed through four chapters of scripture tonight, and some people's minds are melted. So I want to be conscious of that, but. Uh, again, I didn't get into the weeds on a lot of it because this, literally, these four chapters are the most disputed in the book of Revelation. Um, so it's, you're much safer to just take the broad strokes and not get into the nitty-gritty because it's, I think the margin of error is a lot. You're, you have a lot more. You have a lot less chance to get it wrong, I guess. I've heard, I've heard a theory that when... John is talking about the wings of an eagle. Of an eagle, he was visualizing what are now satellites, but he didn't know how to describe them other than having wings of eagles. So, so this is. I thank you for saying that again. So, so with all all due respect, this is exactly what. Pastor David met on Sunday where it's like, why do we interpret the entire Bible one way? But And the question that you always have to ask with the Bible is, what did it mean to the original hearers? That is the question of bi- biblical interpretation. So that that's the... So why do we literally interpret the entire Bible, but then when we say Revelation, like, they didn't know what they were talking about. It was just all gibberish to them. Like, literally, let's, let's break every rule we've been establishing for the entire Bible and throw it all out the window for this crazy LSD, like, acid trip. You know, let's just do that. You know, like, that's what we're going to... This is on Spotify. That's what we're going to... 
<laughs> somebody make a somebody, that's gonna be somebody's ringtone here. <laughs> like <laughs> I mean, it is kind of it does kind of read like an acid trip. It really does. It's not a bad trip, guys. All right, I do think I'm going to pray now. Um, I'm not going to edit that part out. I'm going to leave it on there. Oh, Father God, I thank you for this group of people. It is This is some of the most fun I get to have all week is teaching this um, Bible study. It is so fun. Um, but God, really, as we study this, Lord, um, you've called us to be in a different kingdom than the kingdoms of this world. And I know we're Americans and we live in Johnson County and all this kind of stuff, Lord. But um, God, help us to really consider what does it mean to have ultimate allegiance to you first. Um, and that might mean that we have to make decisions that are hard decisions and unpopular decisions and decisions that maybe ha- have us miss out on some things that we thought were really important. But, um, God, we want to be faithful to you. We want to be his um, faithful representatives. Um, so, God, help us to do that. And thanks for this time that we get to have each week. In your name, amen.